From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, I'm glad to be back with you. How are you doing today? And uh, we have uh, an episode just uh, you and I chatting. Oh, yeah. I'm great to be back here, Steve. And I love having our guests on, but I also enjoy sitting here and talking with you as well. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I look forward to these types of episodes, as you mentioned, because it's a lot of times you and I get uh, an idea that we're going to go down a certain path and um, maybe the conversation goes in another direction, I think, which is what makes, in my mind, this uh, podcast important because it keeps the the topics fresh, but it also gives us validation that they're good topics. And then sometimes we get three or four more that we follow up on. So, um, oh, always great. And uh, today that, that topic, you know, you know we're in um, 2022 and, and a lot of companies right now are facing uh, product shortages and equipment delays and so forth. So, so we thought, you know, we were talking a bit about um, how do you con consider looking at uh, new control platforms and not to say that anybody should be abandoning what they're currently working with, but it, you know, it's, it, it starts to get to be uh, an interesting conversation and, and it's also very pertinent to programmers. Um, and, you know, typically company gets um, really invested in a control platform and programmers, that's how they, they really uh, build their experience. But I'll, I'll uh, kind of let um, you take the first crack at it because you can look at it from a couple of different ways as uh, both a, a, a client or and an, an higher ed perspective, but also from a programmer perspective. So I know many people have heard me say this, and I know it's probably have rubbed some people the wrong way, especially some manufacturers, is I do not have brand loyalty. My loyalty is the students and the university. We have a mission to accomplish. If your product is achieving that mission, then great. I'm going to stick with you as long as you're a good partner. Now, second, you're no longer that good partner and you're not helping me achieve my mission and my goal for my students and the university. I'm going to find someone who can. So you always need to be evaluating and making sure you're meeting those end goals that you're looking for. Because a lot of times if you get into brand loyalty, you can get into uh, blinders and you'll, when you have, uh, there's a difference between brand loyalty and a good partner. Like a good, to me, a good partner is, yeah, you'll stick with them when the road gets a little bumpy. Brand loyalty is you're going to blindly follow them into the pits. That's the difference between a good partner and loyalty. You, yeah, you can sit with them while the road's bumpy and you're weathering bad storms, but they're not going to take you down a pit, uh, into the pit, where brand loyalty will take you into that pit. So like going back to that, you just want to make sure you're always evaluating and to be able to make sure you're achieving your goals. Um, so it's really key to make sure you're always evaluating and not getting blinders put on. I, I think a, a lot, I agree with you there and, and, and so many levels. And, and I think that if you shouldn't take a, um, a, a label 
um, on a product me to mean that it's best in class in different categories. So it, just because you're best in class in one category doesn't mean that you're best in class in other categories. And the other thing that I think that this situation has probably taught a lot of people is that ha have your your backup plan and maybe have a backup plan to that too. Um, it's it's kind of like you do for building a team. You you have to know if you have to make a change, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, that you you can have somebody fill in and that the team doesn't fall apart. Uh, so it's uh, it just it, I think it's good and it's very healthy. Um, a lot of programmers I think would argue that um, being uh, changing products often is going to be challenging. Uh, and and kind of what what's your take on that in, in terms of you know we you know obviously you get better with experience and practice, uh, but you also I think need to be able to keep keep your eyes open as you mentioned before and not not put those blinders on. You definitely need to keep your eyes open. Um, is it hard to change? Yes. Um, it, changing means we need to step outside our comfort zone. Um, I know for a fact I did evaluate moving to a different platform uh, at my old job. The thing that when you're evaluating that, what's a very important thing to take into consideration is all the hidden costs. So, for example, it, it might cost you $100, you know, for the to change the software. Let's just say I'm just different software, $100. But the hidden cost to that, training, support, scalability, all that stuff is that it's not built into that initial cost of when you buy the product or move to it, but there's still costs associated to that. So we need, especially as programmers, we need to think about that. Like if we're going to come to our supervisor and go, Hey, I want to switch from programming language A to programming language B company. Well, most likely our bosses go, all right, what's the cost? And we just give the surface cost. We're lying to our supervisor, even not knowing it. Because then there's also the hidden cost. And I had that conversation with my supervisor. When we looked at changing products, I said, okay, this is how much it would be like to build a classroom with the different product. But I go, then we got to pay for training. Our support staff doesn't know. Programming-wise, like I'm the only one on the staff right now who would be able to adapt to the new language of program. So definitely there's a lot of hidden costs to consider. And I think from going back to what you said in the beginning, where you, you serve the, the, uh, the students, um, the, need to uh they, they you know they don't really care what the technology is <laughs> you know they to them it, it's all the same as long as it works that's that's what's critical and how, how we get there really doesn't matter oh uh, correct they're not going to care what the label is on the touch panel or what model projector we're using or processor or if you're using python or c sharp or c they can care less they just want it to work and so 
that working is also not just yes when they're hitting the button it does what it's supposed to do but also okay something is not doing what it's doing what how long does it take to get it back to that point so if the support aspect of it like i was saying is if your team knows brand a very well and they can get a room up and running in two minutes because they know brand a and you change it brand b and takes you five minutes there's a big different hidden cost there to get that room up and rolling and especially in classroom like this is the way i kind of sum it up is every student is a dollar figure and when you talk about dollar figures people start understanding so you can say let's even say it's a 30 uh, kids in a classroom they're uh, paying a thousand dollars a class that's 30 grand sitting in a classroom 10 minutes down you just wasted 30 grand 10 minutes while you try to fix that equipment which is a lot more uh, costs there where you can say okay i can uh, we may lose 30 grand for two minutes instead of 10 minutes um so even you say 30 grand for every minute they're sitting there, 60 grand or 300 grand. Like where's the, that value adds up, especially in management aspect in eyes. So when you can put everything to dollar figures, it's good. So you got to look at all the surface costs and the hidden costs um, when evaluating new coding language, products, anything. So if I if I turn that conversation around a little bit, because you know you bring up a really good point, and I think all of the the those kind of argue to the fact that don't make changes in haste, and 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 you know um, being uh, being loyal is probably better because you know you you know what you know, and you're and and you you don't have to worry about um, the learning curve and the unknowns. But the the other side of the argument can be maybe going in. There should be uh, a a plan in place where the where there's maybe two or three go to solutions that can be always chosen from rather than being stuck um, uh, tied to one because the risk of that kind of comes back to what happens if something goes wrong and you can't get it which and i'm not you know promoting the fact that we um, need to make these changes but it's something that i think is being brought to light very much right now um it, it also brings up the other argument of do we is it really now time to start to look toward those more universal solutions that you have different options of being able to use hardware to do the same thing. And from a programming perspective, it all kind of stays the same. So it's, you know, go, going back to our conversations about using modern programming languages and, and more, uh, more uh, mainstream IT solutions. If our listeners listen to the little rant I had when Larry was on here, uh, a little pet peeve, like I mentioned, if I was using a Dell computer, and Larry was using an HP computer, and we couldn't have this podcast uh, recording with him. People will have lost their minds, but we accept it in AV. Like if I want to use brand A, and I 
can't get brand A. So let's throw brand B in there with a mixer of brand A. You can't do that. Like that really is a pet peeve of mine. I feel that's where even Larry mentioned where IT is going to, these big IT companies are going to step in and they're going to get interoperable, true interoperable. And these big AB companies who are dragging their feet and saying, you can only play in our sandbox, they're going to lose. Because the IT is going to be like, well, we'll play in everyone's sandbox. We set standards, we set protocols, and you follow these standards and you follow these protocols. The OSI model, I mean, every Dell computer, every HP, every IBM, if you're using uh, Linux or using Windows, they're all using special protocols to communicate with each other. Um, like an example, let's even go down to software level of email. If I wanted to send Steve an email and I'm using Gmail and he's using Yahoo and I can't send him an uh, email because I'm on Gmail and he's on Yahoo, there's a problem there. That's why we need the interoperable. We need to be able to work between them. And going to the evaluation, yeah, you're right. We can't be locked into one company, one way of doing things. We got to be worried about the hidden costs, like I mentioned. That's why sandbox are very important because you can minimize those hidden costs by setting up a sandbox environment. You're not wasting your students' tuition while you're trying to fix a classroom. You can throw things into a sandbox, run your code, test different languages, test different hardware, train your employees on that hardware. And then when you put it out into production, then they know. And they can be multiple train in, you know, brand X, brand Y, brand Z. I, th- I think, I mean, that that's an awesome point is, you know, the, you, it's uh, organizations need to be thinking ahead in terms of having and evaluating at all times and, and becoming more of an expert and giving themselves a, 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 an opportunity to make the mistakes and learn from them. But going back to what you mentioned before, and and I think it's really important. You know, we we were heading down this road for some time with HTML5 and and other way, means, and 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 you know, it, these are all technologies that people know that can run in on different products and different environments, and they're not tied to a particular brand or, or type of hardware. It's uh, you know, it it there it, it, it all is HTML5 compatible. And and I guess one more point before we wrap up is that if we wrote code in one line, you know, on a, uh, in, in the normal um, software environment in one language and you wrote code in another language, and if those two uh, pieces of software could not communicate, that would be a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, yes. we, we we would we we would have a lot less um, uh, of an industry, in, in if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, let's see. I we like talking about money here. Talking about banking, if you know, if we all had to use one bank because they couldn't talk to each other, what happens if that bank goes down? You know, that bank holds you hostage, holds your money hostage because they can do whatever you want. They want because you can't go to anybody else. That's why you have to be able to use and be able to switch and um, communicate across different standards and different platforms. 
Yeah, I, I really like that. Thank you for pointing that out. And it's a really, really good uh, way of, of presenting it. And I think it, again, speaks to the importance of we, we need to be pushing manufacturers to get on board with being able to play nicely with others and, and um, support more tools and more options so that we can get projects done and, um, and not be tied into uh, only one way of doing things. And, and you know, from a software perspective, that, that means modern programming languages, and which would open the door, I think, to a lot more people being able to uh, be available to the AV world because we're not tying ourselves to any, any proprietary languages or platforms. Um, so that, I think that's a good place for us to stop. And I'm sure that this is going to be uh, a, a bit of a polarizing discussion. So I hope that uh, our, our audience will reach out and uh, let us know what you think and, and help to join in the, this conversation. Um, we, we're happy if you agree, and we're also happy if you disagree. That's what makes uh, the, this important and, and uh, ma makes the community powerful. So please uh, reach out and connect with us. Um, James, how can people get in touch with you, um, continue the conversation, and also learn more about what you're up to? As always, you can Google me on the internet, and you'll find me. Uh, Twitter, AV underscore James King, Sunday morning with AV in the AM. I'm writer for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine, the IT and AV column. HEPMA, anything HEPMA going on, you'll find me. Excellent. And for me, uh, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. Um, writing uh, wise, I write with uh, AV Network and Commercial Integrator and my company uh, blog at controlconcepts.net. And um, also uh, host uh, State of Control on avnation.tv. So you could check that show out as well. And um, please uh, continue to reach out and let us know what you think and provide uh, feedback, share an episode. You could find this podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as YouTube. And uh, we want to continue to grow the community. So uh, reach out to your fellow uh, programmers or people who want to learn more about programming and please uh, share this episode or, or your favorite one. So uh, that's what we have for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer. <laughs>